You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your life, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversations with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I've recently created a private community for us to continue these supportive and uplifting conversations. Click the Join the Art of Parenting Community Here button on this page and I will see you there. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. And today I have a guest, Dr. Mary Wild, who I actually met, we were both on a summit this summer called Life Skills Now Summer Camp. And uh, we started talking and I realized that she had a lot of very good information to share with all of you. And so uh, without further ado, welcome, Mary, and uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So uh, as I always like to start uh, with my guest is asking you, how do you define the art of parenting? Well, that's um, such a simple question, but such a big question. And I actually came to this existential moment of my own when I was asking myself this question, like, what is parenting about? And it was after I finished my medical school and residency, and I had made the choice to only work part-time and stay home with my kids, but I found it to be very challenging. And I thought, I need to figure this out. Like, what is this about? What is the main thing that is my work to do here? And It actually ended up becoming a book, and I called it Faithful Nurturing, Mothering from the Heart to the Heart. So really the word that would capture the answer to that question for me is nurturing. I feel like parenting is about nurturing. It is. It is nurturing our children and also nurturing ourselves. Yes. Yes, beautiful. So before we we get into our conversation, I would love if you could share with the listeners a little bit about your background. So you just said you are a doctor. I know you're a pediatrician, but um, a little bit about your background and how you came to do the work that you are doing today. Yes. So I always knew that I wanted to be a doctor, even from being a very young child. That was always the answer I gave. And, um, but yet as I went through the training and, um, the rigors of the training, I also just found that for me, the most important work was with my family and really also helping other parents navigate their journeys with their family, because I feel like that is the unit where healing, you know, often can happen. It's also the place where a lot of injury happens. Unfortunately, it's like our, our 
place of becoming. And so over the years, I did additional training in mind-body medicine and really created a focus of helping kids build resilience. Um, so my main work is helping parents of anxious kids, and often these are anxious parents, um, because we live in a very anxious society, a milieu of a lot of unsettling things and really having to find our grounding. So over the years, I, I went through, you know, many different trainings in mind-body medicine, um, and um, also a lot of self-discovery to come to this idea of um, what I call compassion parenting, um, pa parenting from a space of compassion and self-compassion. And it really has just been an ongoing journey, not only with my training, but my lived experience. So at this point, I um, have an online program that I do called Resilience School for Kids. And then I also um, have a parenting group called Compassion Parenting, where I mentor moms to really come to a place of what I call grounded, loving presence. I consider that parenting is much about the state we come to it in. And if we can come to parenting in the ideal state of nurturing, to me, that is grounded, loving presence. Mm, beautiful. And that that is such important work uh, that you're doing. And before we started uh, our interview offline, you were sharing with me that today was a pretty important day, kind of a, a milestone in your parenting. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Sure. So I am a mom to eight kids. I have eight sons. And um, today is the first day that all of them are in school or, you know, some have moved away already. But the first day that I have had, really, that is my own day. So it's interesting. I went through a calculation at one point to kind of quantify my parenting experience. And, you know, they often say that to become an expert in something, you need to have um, over 10,000 hours of deliberate practice in that area. And as a parent, you know, for this many years and of this many children, um, but even just one parent, it those hours, I mean, one child, th those hours really are building that experience and that wisdom is building. And I calculated I had spent over 120,000 hours in active parenting as well as you have, you know, if you're a parent who has adult children. So you really, you know, you and your listeners, you um, are gathering and gleaning this wisdom because every day is, is deliberate practice. Um, so, you know, there are other calculations I made, like how many diapers have I changed? How many, <laughs> no, just like a rough estimate, how many peanut butter and jelly sandwiches have I made? And it's amazing when you start calculating the thousands and thousands of repetitive actions that go into this state, sense and the state of nurturing. It's, it's really valuable. And those little actions are what allow others to feel cared for. 
So they're very valuable. Exactly. Exactly. And what is the age range of your eight sons? So my oldest is 23 and my youngest just turned seven. So, so, and it's interesting because this, you know, first day of everybody gone and me having my day to myself was kind of supposed to happen a couple weeks ago. But because like, as we know, as moms, like it never really happens like that, you know? So I had, you know, one son who was about to go to college. So he was home and needing me to help him orchestrate things. And then I had some sick kids that would stay home. And so I was like, you know, <laughs> the day was supposed to happen a couple of weeks ago, but it, it turned out to be today. Wow. Wow. Well, it's a day, uh, I think a day of celebration and also a day of, of, transition and I know I know for me it's it's funny because both so I have just two children a, a daughter and a son they're both uh, gone from from our home and at first when I when I first became an empty nester I was a little lost to be honest I was I was you know there was that that identity of like, I didn't have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to make for anybody anymore, right? And it's like, <laughs> and you're kind of like, well, what am I doing? And then, and then, so how, you know, I know your children will be home later today. So it's not quite that, that empty nester feeling, but it must be kind of a good feeling after 18 years of being, you know, there uh, all the time to to kind of relish in that in that quiet time, right? And so I think it's important as you know for for us as moms to be able to give us ourselves permission to have that excitement to have some of our own creative time, um, and but at the same time you know there are there like you mentioned it's bittersweet and you know even though I don't have an empty nest I have an emptying nest and it's one of those milestones along the way and. Um, and it's something that we are constantly having to pivot and find, like, what is my nurturing role now with this particular child, you know? And I remember having a conversation with my oldest son. Um, I was saying, you know, I just feel like this bubble of our family is kind of popping as you are going to college and it, it's beginning. It's like the beginning of the end, sort of, you know? And, um, and I just, it's hard to start feeling over the years, like how everybody is kind of scattering to different places, you know, going on their paths that I want them to go on. But as we were having this conversation, I talked to him about how, you know, when he was little, I loved this experience of like putting him at the top of the slide and, and being there at the bottom to catch him. And I just felt like, you know, my older kids are having all these experiences that I'm, I'm not there for every minute. I'm not a part of them in as central of a way. But he said, Mom, you're always there to catch me at the bottom. Like, like, you know, he was talking about kind of reframing these ways that, you know, we show up for our kids that are different that metaphorically are like catching them at the bottom of the slide in celebration of, you know, the departure and then the rearrival and the departure and the reconnection. And and so it can be a really beautiful thing. So I ended up actually writing an essay based on that, because I love that, that image of meeting our children at the bottom of the slide and how it can continue even as they are adults. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it, I think it's an ever evolving 
cycle of nurturing, right? Of, of like you say, they're, they're, they're evolving. They need us differently. Um, they need, you know, dirt, nurturing differently. They need us to step away, step in. And it's, it's being in tune with that, that flow, uh, definitely. Uh, beautiful. I, 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 I have a hard time wrapping my head around having eight sons, to be honest. Like, wow, that is, <laughs> that is, that is a houseful. Like, especially when the oldest was still at home. It's like, wow. Yes. And during COVID, it was very interesting because everybody came home. Like I had one son who was in the middle of college. He had to come home. Um, I had another son who was serving as a missionary in Thailand. He had to come home because there was, so this, this, there was this major gathering. So suddenly we were all there again <laughs> under the same roof. And, and so, but it is all about being flexible and finding that flow. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. So there, there's, I mean, there's, plenty of topics in in different directions that I want to go into but but one just because you mentioned this notion of resilience when you were uh, describing what you were doing and I'd love if you could just define for our listeners like what is your definition of resilience and why do you think that it is important for us to nurture that in our children mm-hmm. and I think it's really important that we do stop to define these terms because we throw them around and then we can step back and say, well, what is it? What do you, what even is that? (laughs) So, so um, it was interesting. They gathered all these experts, resiliency experts from around the world and had um, kind of a round table and, and different members of that gathering had slightly different definitions of resilience. And so I'll just touch on a few of them that I, love and and they go into kind of a collective sense of resilience that I think of. Um, You know, one is an ability to bounce back from difficulty. Another is a sense of flexibility and agility. And another is the idea of being able to harness the resources around us for our well-being. And so I love those three concepts, I feel like they're very intertwined. Um, and I think even if we are defining resilience in slightly different ways, some of the things that came out of that meaning, meeting excuse me, were the, the acknowledgments that resilience is not fixed over time. It can be different in different contexts and that it can be learned and it can be developed. So I think that is one of the key points is that you know, people don't necessarily just start out in this state of resilience or lack of resilience, but it's something that we can build in ourselves and in our children. So building this ability to bounce back, building this ability to be flexible and agile, and building an ability to harness the resources around us to foster our own well-being. And that's really what we want for our kids. You know, when we're not right there, we we need them to know how to do that. Definitely. Definitely. And for me, what I'm what I'm hearing when you say that is I'm remembering how, you know, we say that it is important to let our children be disappointed, right? To let our children experience failure. And and I know that it's hard to to hear that as a parent like you know, let your child fail. But 
it is important because to me that it sounds like that is how they're going to build that muscle to be able to bounce back, to be able to, you know, use their resources around them and such. So uh, would you say that that is correct? Definitely. I think one thing, you know, I, I work a lot in the anxiety space and the resilience space and something that comes up is just the idea of that our children need to have frustration tolerance. They need to have distress tolerance. And that doesn't mean we have to create frustrating situations or distressing situations because they just naturally arise. But we can um, be with our kids through them and kind of help them frame those experiences in a way that is building and healing rather than defeating. And part of that is just standing alongside them rather than rescuing, swooping in, fixing. Um, I I have given a TEDx talk that is entitled um, Compassion Parenting, Transcending the Myth of Perfect Conditions. And in that talk, I talk also about how we have to recognize that as parents, you know, when things go wrong and we're not able to harness these and, and orchestrate these perfect conditions for our kids that we try so hard to, to, to create, then that is actually allowing them and allowing us to experience these moments of, you know, distress or frustration that allows for growth. So, you know, as parents, sometimes we feel like failures, like, oh, dinner's late, you know, the, the, house is a mess, you know, we missed this, we, you know, I yelled at my child, you know, we, we can collect all these um, quote unquote failures. Um, but really, as we navigate through these difficult moments, that is exactly how the whole process of developing resilience happens. And so if we can see that, it just allows us to just take a breath and, oh, you know, it's okay. This is an opportunity for all of us to just pick ourselves back up. Yes. Yes. And, and, and it's funny, I was, I was interviewing somebody yesterday and we were talking about kind of those mantras that sometimes are good to, to remind ourselves. And, and one that I really like is this is not an emergency, right? (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, when you were describing the, the, you know, the house is a mess, dinner is not ready. And you, you feel like you're, you're just, kind of failing on, on different ends, but you just have to remember, like, it's okay, this is not an emergency, everything is fine, and we will get through this. So, so wonderful. Yeah. So you, 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 you know, I know that you're kind of specialized in anxiety, and also in parental burnt out. I would love if we could touch upon this notion of anxiety. So once again, I'm, you know, I'll ask you to kind of define that, but also you talk about, you know, avoiding and kind of uh, addressing anxiety, both in ourselves and in our children. And I would love if we could talk a little bit about that of, of, first of all, you know, how do we take care of it for ourselves? And then if we do have, you know, anxious children, how can we help them kind of navigate through those big feelings? Yes. So I think that definitely as we 
you know, stop and put on our own oxygen mask first. That is very valuable to just make sure we are in a grounded place. Um, and we won't always be. So part of it is the process of coming to that place and modeling coming to that place of groundedness. Um, so really anxiety is, it's a, it's a, you know, we often think about it like as, um, Sometimes who we are, like, I'm anxious, I am stressed, even how we talk about it, but really it's a feeling that comes over us. Um, so it's kind of like a wave of emotion that is physiologically mediated by the sympathetic nervous system. So we perceive something that is threatening in our environment, and so alarms go off, you know, in that amygdala, the part of our brain that senses significance and danger and threat. Um and a lot of physiologic things start happening. And then even our experience of those feelings, like maybe a pounding heart or sweatiness or shakiness or nausea or stomachache, headache, um, difficulty finding clarity of thought, that can be um, escalating and build a further sense of threat especially if we don't understand this physiologic process. But if we can no. really... Um, yes, Sorry, I, I just want to ask, like, is this something that is um, kind of part of our DNA or our, um, like, generational, or is this something that... Like, or, or I guess I'm, I'm, I'm asking, are there some people that are just more sensitive to anxiety because that's the way that they are, you know, that that's their, because you say that it's, it's physio uh, physiology. And, and so just, are you born an anxious person or is it your environment, the, the nature around you that is going to create that? I think it's definitely a combination of both, you know, there's this sense of, you know, a genetic predisposition and temperament, um, but then also definitely our environment and then the skills and um, tools that we learn can help us navigate. So I feel that, you know, we can't always actually avoid anxiety. We don't necessarily need to. It's part of our life. It's part of existence there are things that are threatening to us in the environment, whether real or perceived. And so part of it is an ability to discern threat. You know, is it real? Is it not real? And then if it is real, then what do I do? Um, so when I see clients in my office, um, you know, after I actually get their permission and, and have them tell me, yes, I want to diminish my anxiety, then I start teaching them about their sympathetic nervous system and how this process happens, because I think that's the first step just to, to understand how your body works and that this is a normal and natural process. And it's actually has been built into us as a survival mechanism. Um, we know that there's some degree of stress that can be beneficial, um, you know, in terms of helping us sense significance of certain events or situations, um, you know, to help motivate us and kind of focus us. And then also to keep us safe. Like we wouldn't want our kids to have no ability to um, sense threat around them. 
it's the the problem becomes when this um you know threat perception becomes something that is kind of calibrated in a way that causes them to not be functional or where you know there are misperceptions of threat and and so i think you know one of the first things you know that low hanging fruit of diminishing anxiety is addressing the anxiety that comes from things that are not actually threatening or are not actually true even you know for example maybe we perceive that we're being rejected or somebody doesn't like us because they have averted their gaze or they haven't you know chosen to talk to us and we're we're using all these generalizations and then we're basing our um, perception of that situation on these assumptions, which may or may not be true. So, you know, one of the first things that I help kids do is just be a little more discerning in their thoughts and, and really identify the thoughts that are leading to their anxiety and then challenge those thoughts and say, you know, is this accurate? Is this fair? Is it true? And so I think that is just, you know, one of the initial steps, but we will not necessarily avoid anxiety, but we can learn to ride it kind of like riding a wave as you are, you know, standing at the shores of a beach, um, of an ocean, you know, the waves come. And if you know that they're coming and you just can jump lightly with them and then they pass over and then they pass over and then they pass over. So it's just kind of through that moment of intensity. Right. And so it's, for me, it, it sounds like it's, it's, it's really, you know, being aware of it, of how anxiety affects each of us, because I think we all have different levels of it and to not, to, to be aware, to not let it be, you know, disabling you from taking action basically, and being really observant of your thoughts that are, are, you know, taking you to that anxiety. And, and I know with parents, it's often, you know, I think we go sometimes in these scenarios of, you know, these worst case scenarios that can be very, like, very anxiety. And, and I had a girlfriend this morning, we were talking about that, you know, her children were suddenly quiet. And, you know, she went into the worst case scenario, he was he was doodling, and he was quiet and, you know, focusing on a piece of paper, but we, we tend to, to, to go there. And it's so how to you know, how do you help parents kind of, and I guess it's the same thing as what you were saying with the children is being able to discern those thoughts and to, you know, to not, I guess, go down that path of, you know, with worst case scenario. Yes. And I, I sometimes say that, you know, being a mom of eight boys is sort of like daily desensitization therapy. <laughs> I would think so. I, I only have one and that's intense. So, <laughs> and so I, I definitely, you know, we often gain the ability to teach about something because it's a, a process that we have worked through ourselves. It's a path that we have walked down and that is definitely the case for me. Um, so, and I do run a quarterly challenge where I teach parents about, um, or it's a, a quarter workshop where I teach parents about 
navigating parenting anxious kids and navigating their own parental anxiety. And so in that, one of the first steps that we do talk about is this, this point of discernment of our own thoughts that are leading to our actions of, you know, how are we defining the situations and what data do we actually, what, are, what do we, what real data do we have and what are we basing our feeling on? You know, right. is this in reality? And um, so I think that that is one important step, but um, definitely, you know, our, the, the way that we frame things as a parent has a huge impact on the way our kids eventually frame things. You know, it's like our verbalized dialogue as well as the energy that we are communicating to our kids, um, it eventually sort of shapes their inner voice and their inner dialogue. And so it is very important as parents to deal with these issues ourselves so we can be more skilled mentors. And we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be like, you know, Zen every moment to be good models. Part of the beautiful modeling process is the modeling we do to work through the difficulty, to work through the anxiety. And so I love teaching parents about that process because it's, it's powerful. It is. It is. And I know for, for me, like personally, I, when I first became a parent, I, I kind of made a promise to myself to never say, be careful, you're going to hurt yourself, right? Because to me, that was being aware that my anxiety, you know, over climbing a tree or being, you know, balancing on something that was my own fear or anxiety, and that I, you know, I would let my child trust themselves and trust their their ability. So I'm not saying to, you know, walk away, you're you can still be there and, and spot them like, you know, gymnast have and, and such. But this idea of kind of transferring that anxiety onto them is, is, uh, I think, really important. And I know I get asked often, because I have um, my son, my only son is, uh, is an extreme sport athlete. And it is, uh, <laughs> it, it, it brings up a lot of anxiety. So there's, you know, I, there's sometimes I can't watch the videos. I've, you know, I've learned that I can't be, he's a downhill uh, skateboarder. So a speeding on a skateboard. I cannot be in a car following him, for example. I just, you know, I just, I, I've learned what my level of, of what I can handle. But people have always asked me, but doesn't that scare you? And, you know, how can you let him do that? And I realized that that's my own fear, right? I have to trust that this is his passion and that he is in control of, you know, those, those sensations. And yes, it's a big, huge adrenaline rush for him, but that's exactly why he does it. And, and that, you know, it's, it's, my fear would only get in the way of him living his, his passion today. So I think to me, that's really important. Yeah. That's very valuable. It makes me think of the fact that there are really two main um, messages that I think are important to be able to communicate to our kids in the arena of resilience and anxiety. And one is you are capable. Mm. And the other is, you know, the universe is a friendly place. 
And sometimes we question. Those things are the things that we question, like, is the universe a place, you know, that is scary, full of sharp corners, full of dangers? Um, is my child somebody who's going to fail? Are they not going to be liked? Are they going to mess up somehow? And we sometimes transfer all this negative energy and we create this cloud around them that's a very anxious cloud. Um, whereas it can be so powerful instead to choose to believe my child can do this, my child is capable, the universe in general is a friendly place, and I would like to believe it. And as we act as if, it helps it become so that we have a capable child when we go into situations that that is our underlying assumption and belief. So that brings me to a question of, do anxious parents create anxious children? And, you know, that definitely gets into all these parental guilty feelings of like, oh, no, I ruined my child. And in a, in, it is true that that is a reality we have to face as parents that our children mirror us. Mm-hmm. And, but it's not a scary, you know, shameful thing. It is a beautiful thing because it helps us really come face to face with who we want to be because there's nothing else in this world. Sometimes it can motivate us to change in the same way as wanting to show up well for our children that we love so much. And we will still fail. We will, we will come short. We will have our foibles and our idiosyncrasies and our struggles. And it's the modeling of getting through that that helps them see in reality, how to get through a life, you know, how to get through with foibles, weaknesses, failures, because they have them too. And so um, that's the more general answer to your question. Um, And the direct answer is yes. As we are anxious parents, we often will transmit that anxious energy. and, And that is why it is so important to, um, to address that. But that being said, our children are really our, their own beings. And so sometimes kids can kind of um, inwardly retaliate against their parents' anxiety and become very much um, very bold and um, risk takers and kind of as a reaction against over-anxious parents, but but more commonly, there's this, you know, going of the same direction that, um, you know, like begets like. (laughs) And have you in your practice, like, come across families where you have, you know, very chill parents, but very anxious children? Like, can it also go the other way? Okay. Yes, it definitely can. Okay. and, And that has to do, again, with temperament and sometimes, you know, just various life experiences that people have mm-hmm. um, that can affect how they're kind of programmed to encounter future experiences. So traumatic events can influence that. Um, so there are so many factors. So definitely there are what I would call mismatches um, in terms of um, distress tolerance and anxiety levels, uh, but it's all you know, having awareness of those mismatches and being very intentional about how we navigate can 
help us through. Mm, beautiful. Well, thank you for, for all of that, because I think even, you know, today having... I mean, we're still kind of on the end of this global pandemic that I feel that the level of anxiety has risen. I know in, in myself personally, and I don't consider myself a very anxious person, but it definitely, you know, brought that up that uh, thank you for, for doing that, that work and just helping us understand how we can navigate our own anxiety and our children's anxiety. Um and, and I'd love to, to kind of wrap things up with maybe a more personal question. So you shared with us that you have um, eight children, eight sons, and the eldest is 23. So if you were to go back to maybe 24 years ago when you were expecting your first child, are there any wise words that you would tell that first time expecting mother uh, about parenting, especially, you know, knowing all that you know today? Mm -hmm. So I don't know that I would necessarily do things differently, um, but some of the things that really helped me were to really um, trust myself trust myself because I feel like there's so much information out there. And I always saw myself as a gleaner, gleaner of wisdom and lessons from everything around me, watching other parents and seeing the things that I liked that they, they did and, and seeing the things that I didn't like that they did and reading parenting books and taking one idea and discarding another. And it's, you know, sometimes in our world of information overload, we can feel like we become just puppets, like we have to follow like best practices in everything or we're going to ruin our kids. And that is not it at all. Like these things are tools that can help us, but we have to be able to wisely discern and pick and choose and glean the things that are helpful to us and bring us positive energy and help us feel good and confident as parents because it's really it is possible to really love to absolutely fall in love with parenting and it's more possible when we feel skilled and when we feel like we're doing a good job and when we have proper expectations and so you know we're not suddenly um collapsing when something doesn't go right because we feel like we're messing everything up. You know, if we navigate and, and just learn to trust ourselves and just keep seeking and learning and pivoting, um, then we can really get through anything. Mm, that's beautiful. So. That's beautiful. And it's music to my ears because I know for me, I, I, you know, I've really been kind of on this mission to debunk this notion that, that, you know, parenting has to be hard. I think we get this image of, you know, it's this grueling kind of almost like a chore that just has to be done. And, and to me, that's, you know, not at all what it is. It's such a joyous experience. It's not going to be easy every day, of course, but you know, I think with that mindset and, and hearing that from you, you know, having raised eight sons, I'm like, oh, yes, <laughs> music to my ears. So, so that's wonderful, wonderful. Well, is there um, any kind of parting words or, or takeaway that you would like to leave our listeners with today, uh, Mary? Yes, it's just that it is possible to parent with joy and flow. And, um, and I'd love to offer the listeners 
um, a, a parting resource. And I have written a little ebook. It's called Parenting with Flow. And I, you can include the link in the show notes. But yes. so, um, and that will just give you a little taste of this journey and this paradigm that parenting can be joyful. And, and even for you, you know, whoever you are, whatever your situation is, you can come to the place of joy in parenting. Beautiful. Well, thank you. This has been a delightful conversation. And I thank you for taking the time to have it with me. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. And do come share your takeaways in our private Facebook community. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.